Hey, welcome to Not Quite Compassion. This is episode two, and uh, I entitled it How I Still Read the Bible. Uh, I titled it that because uh, I actually still read the Bible, believe it or not, <laughs> in the light of um, my faith evolving and changing. Uh, I still really enjoy the Bible, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how I read it differently uh, and how I enjoy it more in light of this different kind of reading of it, um, despite the fact that my faith has changed and grown a bit. Uh, also, I want to preface this, though, first uh, by saying that um, you might be at odds with the Bible, or you may not want to read it the way you used to. And that, that I would say that's okay. Uh, be kind to yourself. I'll give you a quick, quick illustration to understand this better. Uh, every year, my uh, family and I, we go down to Seaside, Oregon, just a little uh, sleepy beach town, and spend a week with her family, and I guess my family now too, and we just have a blast. It's a really great time, but um, we've made it this like tradition as part of that vacation to each of us kind of get away alone with our boys, so I'll take Lincoln on like a one-on-one date, and Laura will take Sawyer, and then we'll flip-flop later on the week, and we get we let the boys choose whoever the one-on-one's with, Uh whatever they want to do with us. And so they get a pick like Sawyer last year wanted to take me to, um, pigs and pigs and pancake, pig and pancake. This is a restaurant that serves pancakes and bacon and, and he loved it. And so we just sat around chit chatted and then we played Pokemon go. Uh, <laughs> so Lincoln uh, last year wanted to go for a really long walk on the beach and he's a talker and he wanted to, uh, play the superhero guessing game with me. And uh, then we ended up at a pub and shared a plate of fries and watched. I think the Olympics were on at the time. Um, but I've noticed that we've been this, this tradition probably, I don't know, four years now. And each summer, what they want to do with me uh, is different. And it makes sense that it is. Like I remember one year... Sawyer wanted to bury Laura in the in the sand. <laughs> he most likely won't want to do that next year, or maybe when he's fifteen, or you know, like how they choose to connect with us will look different. Link's not always going to want to play the superhero guessing game with me. <laughs> there will probably be some other way that he'll want to connect with his dad, and and it would be weird if he did want to play the superhero guessing game year after year. I would be like, what? Let's talk about what you're learning in college, son. <laughs> you know, it would. It, so my point is, is um, how you connect with God, your heavenly Father, will change from season to season, and it'd be weird if it didn't. So perhaps how you you're used to connecting with God, if it no longer works, that might not be a sign of you somehow backsliding and. Um, doubting God's existence, it actually might be a sign that you're growing, that what used to work doesn't work anymore because you've grown up. And you need to find a different way to connect with God because you are a different person. You're not who you were last year. You're different. And so therefore, how you interact with God will look different. I only say that because how you interact with the Bible will change too. It should change. It'd be weird if it didn't, you know? So shoot for quality versus quantity um, and be kind to yourself. 
how you read the text and how you integrate and interact with God will look different. And that's a sign of spiritual growth oftentimes. Okay, so that is a preface. Let me share a few tidbits on how uh, I still read the Bible. Um, the One of the biggest ones I picked up, this is from um, Kurt, uh, Kent Dobson. <laughs> Butcher his name, Kent Dobson. Uh, he taught me to look at the Bible not as something that happened, but as, as something that's happening. What I mean by that is I used to get hung up on stories of like Jonah getting swallowed by the whale. And uh, I would look at it only in terms of did this historically happen? You know, did, did was a guy historically and literally swallowed by a massive fish, lived somehow in that belly of that fish for three days and then spit out on the beach a-okay. Like, is do I have to believe that? Do, does that, you know, and, and so, and if I don't believe that, if I, if I don't believe that actually happened, then I have to throw the whole story out. And I would, um, I would say a better way of approaching that story and so many other stories in the Bible, whether it's a floating zoo, Noah's Ark, whether it was the world was created in six actual days, um, whatever you might get hung up on is, don't look at it as much as did it happen, but is it happening? Like, instead of some historical fact that I wasn't there to actually witness, do I see myself in that story of Jonah? Have I been swallowed in my doubt and my darkness and my suffering? And has God changed me in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that grave, and spit me out on the other side to recognize that people I thought were out on the outside of God are actually included in God's grace? And I've been stubborn and way too biased to even notice. And I'm actually standing in God's way. I need to get out of the way and let God love people the way he's loved me all this time. And how dare I get in the way of God loving people? Do I see myself in that story? Do I recognize how that story isn't something that just merely happened or maybe not happened, but it's happening right around me all the time. And it matters and it makes a difference and it's changing my life because man, that's the worst part of whether it happened or didn't happen. None of that actually changes us. I just check it off my agreement list so I can fit into the Christian club. Like who cares? I want it to change me. And so you can believe it happened. That's fine. Just don't stop there. Make sure it's happening all around you. That certainly is um, what James Cone in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, talks about. That for African Americans in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, they he couldn't get, a, get past the idea that white Christians would watch and actually help hang black men on trees on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday and celebrate another dark-skinned man hung on another tree in the form of Jesus. And how these white Christians couldn't connect the dots between the two. The utter hypocrisy of it all, you know? And that's because it's just something, something that just merely happened. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Isn't that great? But Cohn points out that through their prophetic imagination, African-Americans were able to see, no, that's, that's Jesus hanging on the tree. Like he um, stands in solidarity with us. It's something, the cross isn't something that merely happened. It's something that's happening right here, right now, and injustices and sufferings all around our world. 
And so I, I can't just read about and celebrate how Jesus hung naked on a tree, embarrassed and humiliated and ashamed, without also knowing those, noticing that there will be a thousand girls on the street of Seattle tonight being trafficked and also ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated. I have to connect the dots because I want this cross to be something that's re-crucified all around me. It's not something that just happened, but it's happening and I want it to be able to be something that's th- exactly that. Another way of looking at it is um, my wedding day. It happened. It did. It's like coming up on almost 15 years ago. Laura came down the aisle. I remember she was wearing a white dress. There was a lot of people there. I gave a ring to her. She said, yes, I do. I said, I do. It happened. You weren't there for it. I promise you it happened. Does it matter a whole lot to you? Probably not. What you're probably more interested with if you come over for dinner is, is it happening? Do I have this vivid, beautiful, inspiring, transformational relationship with my wife? And we do. And I'm so glad it's not something that just happened 15 years ago, but it's happening. I'm committed to this woman. I love this woman and she loves me. And we're getting to know each other even more than we did back then. It's laughable if it's only something that happened. Oh God, let it be something that's happening. Because that's what matters to you. And that's certainly what matters to us. I would take that even as far too as, as the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I know some people will get uneasy with this. Honestly, I get uneasy about this too. <laughs> But did it historically happen? I wasn't there. I I wasn't born. It was a long time ago. It was 2,000 years. I wasn't there. I I, I want it to be, regardless, I want it to be something that's happening. That I see this life, death, and resurrection occurring all around me. In my life included. And that brings me to my second point on how I still read the Bible. Is that um, I'm starting to see in terms of whether or not less about faith and more about need. And this is where I'm at right now is, um, did, did someone actually die on a cross and then raised from the grave three days later? I wasn't there, you know, like I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but I need it. I do like in order for me to understand God, I, Richard Rohr puts it this way. Richard Rohr says, um, great plays are performed on small stages. And uh, he's right. I really think he is. That uh, there is this sense that, that I, in order, I am a finite person trying to understand the infinite. Like, I, I'm just poking holes in it, you know, I'm scratching at the surface. And so do I expect when I reach heaven's gates, if that's even a thing, (laughs) I'll be surprised if there's a literal gate that would be actually, but do I expect to to meet a Galilean carpenter and he's gonna be like, look at these holes in my wrists? No, you know, honestly, I think I would be a little disappointed because we are talking about the, the, the infinite, the divine, the source, the ground of all being, like, surely it must be so much more. And yet the person of Jesus I need 
in order to even begin to fathom it. Uh, frankly, I, I fall in line with what Scripture says, that he is the visible expression of the, of the invisible God. That um, God is at least Jesus. I like how my friend Tony Chris puts it, like, that God is not Trinity. God is at least Trinity. And I think what he was getting at is like, that's my, that's, God knew that that's the best way that I can somehow fathom the complexity and brilliance and uniqueness and divinity and infinite mystery that is God, is three persons in one. And I don't get that at all. (laughs) But I kind of, a little bit, and it's such a head-scratcher, and no wonder that's the model that was given, because that's the best that I can do with my finite brain. Uh, do I believe that Jesus died and rose again 2,000 years ago as a Galilean carpenter? Yeah, but more than that, I, I need Jesus to die on a cross and be raised again. Because my brain, I don't even know where to begin otherwise. Um, I think that if, um, I think the best way of me trying to capture the character of who God is, is in the person of Jesus, but I'm less hung up on to historically happen and more that I frankly, in humility, I need it to be hap- happening in my life. All right. So next one is, um, I'm looking at the Bible in less categories of believer and unbeliever and more in categories of oppressor and the oppressed. And that's been so um, refreshing for me. I've gained this from liberation theology, again, with uh, James Cohn in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And uh, it's been so helpful to look in different categories. Because in believer and unbeliever, I see more categories of people that are in and people are out. And I define myself by being in by recognizing who other people are out. And so the more people I can claim are out, the more assured I am that I'm in. And you cannot do that without a sense of arrogance. It's not, you can't do it. Believe me, I tried for like a long time, like maybe 20 years to do that without being arrogant. You can't do it. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to come across as an asshole. And, and uh, I, I, it's more humbling for me as a straight white male to approach the Bible as um, in categories of oppressed and oppressor. Because oftentimes I fall in the category of the latter. I come at the, at the scriptures with a sense of a, a position of strength and power. And I have so many blind spots because of it. And um, it's been really helpful. Uh, another reason, uh, another thing that's helped me too is uh, instead of coming at the scriptures uh, from the top down, I look at it from the bottom up. So what I mean by that is it can't just be good news for me. It has to be good news for everyone. And and so if I turn the Bible into, or faith or getting into heaven or whatever it is into um this intellectual ascent that's about knowing certain things and believing certain things, well, that doesn't add up for someone that is experiencing a mental disability, right? Like they can't understand the same things that I understand. So somehow grace isn't available to them. 
salvation. Like that, no, that's not. It's only good news for me. Then it's not good news for. I made a, I, I made God in my image, and not the other way around. It's not fair, and I and I I create an unfair Bible, an unfair gospel when I come at it from the top down, when I approach it as a consumer, that's customized to fit me and people just like me. But when I come from the bottom up, when I see that God um, says, blessed are the poor, that he always gravitates towards the people in the margins, that I, I, I try to place myself in their shoes. I recognize I'm far more like them than not like them. What occurs in me is a much generous kind of reading of the Bible. And it's been really, really helpful for me. All right, last um, way that's helped me still read the Bible is um, that I no longer look at it as a book, but as a library. Uh, because, well, that's what it actually is. If you, if you look at the word Bible, it means library. And if you re- know the word holy, it means special or um, set apart. So we're talking about a very special library <laughs> is what the word Holy Bible means. And uh, I don't go, like, okay, my family and I, we go to the library, we're just nerds. And so we go to the library literally every weekend and we come back with like 20 or 30 books. And Laura gets some, um, she's not going to like this, <laughs> she gets, uh, well, she, yeah, she gets all kinds of books. I won't embarrass her. Uh, and Lincoln gets books and Sawyer gets books and... Uh, and I get books and we, anyways, I don't like go to the library and look up some book from, uh, the 1800s about some, I'm a totally show my ignorance here, but let's say I don't pick up a book in the 1930s about America and then, um, and then read something written in 20, 2017 about America and be like, what? That book back in the 1930s was horseshit. They they didn't even they didn't even talk about women and uh, the role of women in culture and all. I mean, I don't I don't I recognize it was written in the 1930s. It comes from a certain perspective. And and furthermore, I don't walk out of the library and be like, this whole library sucks. What a worthless piece of crap library. We should never go there ever again. No, of course not. I don't expect the book in 1930 to line up from the written by some one person and then a book written in 2017 written by someone else to be like all the same. No, there's differences. And thank God there is because people change. Humanity evolves. Culture moves forward. And the same goes with the Bible. I don't expect, I don't look for everything to line up. It'd be weird if it did. It wouldn't make any. It wouldn't be true for starters. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be honest depiction of the world and culture and how humanity is continually evolving and moving forward and progressing. And I love the Bible because it's a library. I don't want it to be anything else. It was written by human beings from a long time ago, from different perspectives and different languages and different cultures over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, no wonder there's going to be some differences. And I'm glad there is. And, and, and that's helped me to appreciate the Bible more and to enjoy it for what it is, 
to not get so hung up on the details of some things, to not try to crack the code and line up everything and see it all says, no, it, I'm just telling you, you try that long enough, I have, it's a dead end. You're going to find stuff that doesn't line up, that the Bible will contradict itself. It'd be weird if it didn't. It helps me recognize that it was written by human beings. I believe inspired by God, but written by humans. And it, it becomes the depiction of humanity in all of its beautiful mess when I allow it to be just that, a library and not a book. So I hope that helps, uh, these different ideas of how I still read the Bible. It's an incredible library of books and um, and I, I and I I pray that God would use it to speak into your life and into mine. That it would be something that's continually happening all around us, um, and it would we would see it transform our lives and those around us. So um, may you experience um, God this week. Uh, Till next time.